Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. So as I welcome you, let me just get a little bit of a feel for who is or who would classify themselves as being a pastor, minister, clergyman, elder, that sort of role in church leadership at a congregational level. If we could just have a, a, a show of hands, just so we get a, a feel. Okay. And those who see themselves perhaps more specifically as saying, actually, no, I, I'm here as, and, and very much working as a, as a mission agency rep in some sort of format or, or, or other. Okay, we've got the, and some people are putting both hands up. That's okay. That's perfectly okay. I have introduced myself as, as Ben Mark Welsh. This afternoon, we're also going to have an input from a couple of guys who are very much involved currently in church leadership, and that is Gordon Dara from Windsor Baptist Church, and then also Trevor Betts from City Church in, in Belfast. And hopefully between the three of us, we will take you on a little bit of a journey the aim of this afternoon, so you're, you have that clear right at the very beginning, the aim of this afternoon is to encourage you guys. And we want to encourage you in what you're doing, but we also want to encourage you to reflect. Prior to going into the ministry, I was a teacher, and one of the phrases that kept getting thrown at us was, we, you need to be a reflective practitioner. And lo and behold, when I went to Union College, the same phrase was thrown at me again. And in the busyness of church life, sometimes we can lose sight of that. As we come to the end of August, as we begin into, or about to launch into the start of a new church year, we want to encourage you to reflect. Reflect on your role as a church leader, but in particular in relation to your role in global mission. It's very easy to send your folks to the likes of Bangor Worldwide and for them to, to hear the message of go, go, go. But what is God actually saying to us as leaders Perhaps he's saying at the moment, I want you to stay at home, but I want you to be a mobilizer in your place for my mission. The title for this session is Transforming Mission. I would love to say I made that up, but anybody who's ever read any of any books on missiology at all will recognize that that comes from David Bosch's book, um, one of those sort of classic tomes of, of relatively modern missiology. And within his book, he speaks of a paradigm shift a new way of doing mission. And the reality is we are at one of those stages in, in the church's history where there is a paradigm shift going on, where it's no longer the church doing the business locally and mission agencies doing it overseas, but actually where there's that much greater mixing and, and matching and integration of the local church and the mission agency working together, as well as working with the church overseas. And we're also in that situation where folks from the church overseas are now being sent to be missionaries here. And we've got that toing and froing. We're in that place where, where mission's being transformed. But how do we transform the missional mindset of the people in front of us week in, week out? I suspect that everybody sitting here has got that vision. But how do we actually go about it? Let me take you back to one of the earliest, I suppose, paradigm shifts in terms of the New Testament church. Because Christ had just spent three years ministering. He had demonstrated mission. He had spoken of mission. He had sent his disciples out in short-term teams and they'd come back and reported everything that God had done. And now the shift begins. 
The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And Jesus came to them and said, guys, things are never going to be the same again. That's sort of my paraphrase. Gospel according to Mark. As you go, make disciples of all nations. What did Jesus have in mind? What was he thinking of? I'll be honest, I never get tired watching that video clip and I've watched it so many times now because I've shown it in so many different settings. But as ministers and pastors, we're called to be disciples. We're called to make disciples who then go and make disciples from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And, and let me encourage you right at the beginning this afternoon, don't be thinking of mission as something, something that is purely overseas. If our churches have missional hearts, it will begin from the moment they leave the end of their pew and it will extend to the end of the earth. Let's not have that distinction between home and overseas. Your church either has a missional heart or it doesn't. It may need encouraged, it may need nurtured, it may need directed. But what we're looking at here is how do we get that missional heart? I love that. Okay, it's a little bit American, as you can tell from where the guy was launched from, you know. (laughs) It's a little bit Disney. And you might be sitting there going, you know, Mark, that's a wonderful picture and, and my, you know, it just does my heart the world of good. But actually, as I stand in a pulpit Sunday by Sunday, here's the picture that I have in front of me. <laughs> I feel more, I feel more like Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37, where I'm sitting there and the bones are certainly there, but boy, is it dry. And actually, as a pastor, I'm spending most of my time trying to hold the body together. I'm spending a lot of my time patching up those who are hurting, those whose lives are falling to pieces. How do I find the time to do all of that other stuff? My encouragement to you is to reflect on the amount of time that we do give to the relative or the respective parts of our jobs as as ministers. In terms of mission, you think, you know, when it comes to, 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 to mission, my, my church is, is, is dead. There's, there's maybe a few bones rattling in the corner who show a wee bit of excitement when I talk about Matthew 28 on a Sunday. But then they stop rattling as soon as they get out the door. I've tried doing something about it. I've tried putting all those bones that are rattling in one place and I've called it a mission committee. <laughs> but that rattling doesn't seem to work its way out across the rest of the church. In fact, they're just quite happy sitting in a room rattling amongst themselves. Let me encourage you to take your congregation on a journey. I use this diagram quite a bit. I like pictures. It helps me understand what my job is about. Imagine I was to ask you, where would you put your congregation in that circle? If this circle is mission involvement or mission engagement, where would you put your congregation? I'll be honest, I, I use this when I'm, when I'm working with, with church leaders. And nine times out of ten, the church leader will be very honest and say, actually, do you know, my congregation's not even on the circle. Or they might say, the majority of my congregation's not on the circle. But a few of them are. A few of them have got the vision. We've got an even fewer number who are actually engaged. And I'd say that's okay, because actually you're no, not much different from the rest of the, the, the rest of the church around this island. But, you know, we can begin a journey. And most of us think of mission and missional engagement and and, and getting people excited about mission as a linear process. We'll get them to get a vision. We'll get them to do something. And then that's at the end of the process. My encouragement to you is to think is actually, how do you develop this over time? How do you give your folk in front of you a vision? 
a vision for God's mission. How do you equip them for that? And how do you then give them opportunities to engage in it? And once they're engaged, how do you build on that vision that they will capture as they're engaged so that you can then further equip them, that they might become more engaged? And this circle, or actually a cycle, as folks go around it more and more times, hopefully it becomes a little bit like a whirlwind in your church. Because as it spins, hopefully each time it goes around, it will draw a few more people in. Let me encourage you not to think that one program, one event, one mission weekend, one amazing mission speaker is going to change a missional mindset in your church. Took Christ working three years with his disciples and they still really didn't get it. You know, Lord, is this the day that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Oh boy, I'm just about to leave you and you still haven't got it. But with perseverance, as we go round this cycle, as we share a vision, as we equip, as we give opportunities to engage, then a church's missional heart will grow. How do I know it? I've tried it. I know it works. I've seen it happen in congregations. I've seen it happen in other congregations other than my own. But it takes a commitment. It requires you to say, you know, as well as being minister, pastor, I'm going to be a mission mobilizer. I like pictures. Some of you maybe prefer words. Let me put it slightly differently. And to show, whenever we're ordained as Presbyterian ministers, we, we promise that we'll accept light from any quarter, just to show that that is true. What is mission mobilization? Whose job is it? Jerry Rankin, Southern Baptist International Mission Board. But the only time you'll ever hear a Presbyterian minister share that. <laughs> what does he say? Mission mobilization. It's teaching believers in a local church to understand God's global plan. It's then motivating them to a loving response to God's word. And then it's providing opportunities for them to actually put that into practice. It's the teaching. It's the motivation, encouraging a response, and then actually getting them to engage. It ties reasonably well with the circle. Giving them that vision, equipping them, calling for a response, encouraging them to go out. Is it all a pipe dream though? Is it something that only the mega churches in America can do? Does it happen in first bally shuck? The reality is it can and does, and I'm not going to give you an example from first bally shuck or even second, third or fourth bally shuck for that matter. But I want to take you to the book of Acts. And in particular, to the church in Antioch, that place where the New Testament church was first called Christians. And as we go through this, and I'm not going to, take, I'm not going to read through the passage because, you know, I'm talking to a group of guys who should be able to recite this word for word, including in Greek. <laughs> Apart from Graham, who admitted last night that he doesn't have a Greek Bible on his, on his bookshelf, but anyway, and he didn't include it, sorry, he didn't include it in the list. Let me encourage you to reflect on what are the characteristics of the leaders? Not what's going on in the church, but what are the characteristics of the leaders? The church leadership in Antioch, first of all, shared God's missional heart, began with those who took a lead in that church. There were those when that church started, had a very narrow view of mission. After the persecution, the church was being dispersed out of Jerusalem. There were those who travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling a message but only to Jews, a limited view. But there were some, those who formed that church, 
those who took the leading role, those who stuck their head above the parapet, and they began speaking to Greeks also. A church that was established on the basis of a missional heart. This was a church, a local congregation that had a global church perspective. It didn't see itself as some isolated individual entity that had no connection with everything else that was going on in the world. They were in touch with the church in Jerusalem, happy to receive help from that church. They were happy to receive prophets in from outside who brought news of what was happening elsewhere in the world, Agabus sharing of this famine that was going to be. The church leadership, like our DVD clip, was committed to discipleship. Barnabas and Saul, two of the leaders brought in to mentor that church, met and taught great numbers of people, not just the Keeney Beanies, but huge numbers. Not just in a one-off sermon, but for a whole year. Committing to this teaching of what it was to be a church Church leadership was open to the Holy Spirit, open to things not working, open to things going in a different direction. They were fasting, they were praying, and the Spirit spoke and said, here's how your involvement in my mission is about to go off in a slightly different direction. It's no longer just about the local, but it's about to begin to move out to the global. And that church leadership took that. And in their hearts, not only did they have a heart for God's mission, but they released people for service. They had a heart to partake in that mission. They fasted and they prayed. They placed their hands on Saul and Barnabas and sent them off. Do we see ourselves as leaders in the global church who are simply mentoring those that God has put into our care for a short period of time that we might send them out to serve him in whichever other part of the body he wants them to serve in? Or do we hold on to our best Sunday school teachers, our best worship leaders, because actually we need them here? It's quite a list of characteristics. Said I wanted folks to reflect. I, I trust actually as you guys read down through that, there'll be those that you go, do you know, that's where we're at. Please be affirmed. There's, there's little enough affirmation in the ministry. Pat yourselves in the back. You know, listen to that voice saying, well done, good and faithful servant. But is there also that still small voice <laughs> that's going, here guys, do you know, in your leadership team, in your Kirk session, in your select vestry, in your elders board, there's a wee bit of work needing done to develop some of these characteristics. On the positive side, when that church exhibited those characteristics, let's look at the outcome. They saw growth locally. Great number of people been brought to the Lord. The church was exposed to global mission. The church leadership wasn't averse to having folks in to say, listen guys, here's what God is doing in other parts of his world. Let's get excited about it. And because they were saying, because they had that mission heart locally, because they were hearing what was happening globally, 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 then they also then shared, not just in the local, but also in the global. Dipping into their pockets at that time of famine, each giving according to their ability. It's not just a Disney picture. 
And it doesn't need to be a picture of dry bones in the desert because here's a real life church that managed it. But we need to cultivate those same characteristics of where to do the same. As I said earlier though, it's not something that happens instantly. Going back to Jerry Rankin, mobilization, he says, is a process, it's not a quick fix. But where do you start? If you think of that circle of the envisioning, the equipping, the engaging, where do you start? This is Jerry's conclusion. He says, first of all, if we want to mobilize, and it's not a quick fix, then it's got to be the ministers who do the mobilizing because they're the people who are there week in, week out. Mission agency reps like me come in once in a blue moon. You guys are there on the journey with the folks. And as you begin that journey with your people, address the issue of biblical conviction. He goes on to say, if we approach mobilization without a proper scriptural understanding of God's heart for the world and his global cause, then we will never prioritize it in the local church. Mission mobilization, mission has got to be a priority. What I say to folks is, this is my simplistic view of the church. Apologies if this offends anybody, but there's only three things the church is called to do. The vertical relationship, we have to develop our vertical relationship, our worship of God. We've got to develop our, our horizontal relationship, the fellowship that we enjoy one with the other. And we've got to develop the outreach. For all eternity, when Christ returns, we will have perfect worship. For all eternity, we will have perfect fellowship. But when Christ returns, we have lost the opportunity to reach out. It's got to be a priority. And it will only be a priority if we give our folks that biblical conviction that it is a priority. It's not just Jerry Rankin's conviction. It's not just my conviction. Let me take you back to Ezekiel 37. It's the Lord's conviction. Dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. We can try all sorts of fancy gimmicks. We can try all sorts of events. We can have all sorts of amazing speakers in that will try to G up the dry bones. But if we don't keep coming back to God's word again and again and again as we preach, then the dry bones might rattle every so often, but they will never bind together. They will never come to life in the way that God wants them to, and they will never rise up into that mighty armory. It's not just the Old Testament, New Testament also. How do we get transformed both as individuals? How are we transformed as a church? Beginning with the renewing of our minds. Get it in there. And so for the next few minutes, I want to... encourage you to reflect on what's your preaching like. This is where people break out now in a cold sweat. I'm not going to ask for hands up at any stage here. You'll be delighted to know. But how do you assess your missional preaching? Or whether your preaching is missional? Let me give you a few wee tests. It's a Sunday morning. It's early on in the service. And you're standing, you've come down out of the pulpit. You're no longer six foot above contradiction. And you're standing there and you've got the kids in front of you. And I'm not going to do it, but you, you've put together an, an amazing, you know, mind capture and, you know, the kids are in raptures. The reality is, as we all know it, the adults in the congregation are now also in raptures because this is the only bit they listen to. <laughs> or maybe was that just me? And after an amazing introduction, basically the gist of it is, today, kids, we're going to look at the story of Jonah. And for the children, and I suspect 99.99% of your congregation, they will have a cartoon image in their head. It's a story of a wee boy and a big fish and a great wee story. And even if it's not a wee boy, whoops, I've gone on ahead. Okay. Even if it's not a wee boy, 
there's still that lack of imagination about what the real thrust of those four chapters of Jonah are about. How many of them could tell you that it's actually about Nineveh? How many of them could tell you that actually when they listen to their news in the evening and they hear of all the stuff that's going on with the Islamic State in and around Mosul, that actually that's just across the river? How many of them could say that this is about God's desire that one man should actually go to a nation that was oppressive, to a nation that literally a few decades later would actually take these guys into into exile? And yet God's heart was that they would hear the message. Do your folks have a cartoon image of Bible? Or have they captured God's heart? Let's move up from the children. You've been invited along to your church's young adults group. This is the generation that are worried about whether they should go to university, whether they should take a gap year, whether they should take a gap year, go to university, take another gap year. Who should I marry? Should I marry? What does the Bible say about same-sex relationship? All of this stuff that they're going on. And you ask them, in that context of so much uncertainty in your lives and economic downturns and all of that, what's your key life verse now? And they'll all say it's Jeremiah 29, and you will all say verse? Thank you. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. And you go, that's lovely. But you know, that verse wasn't written to individuals. It was written to the community of God's people. How many of those young adults in front of you could actually say, you know, my key verse is 29, verse 7. My life verse, my mission, is to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which God has placed me. Whether it's Belfast or Bangor or Mosul. You're sitting in front of your elders board or your Kirk session. <coughs> You're wanting to judge their understanding of global mission as you launch into this new passion for this year. And you say to them, guys, we're going to have a game of blankety blank. And everybody in your session, I guarantee, our elder board will be old enough <laughs> to go all the way back to Terry Wogan. The blank of blank has a blank, and you're going to give them three words, God, church, mission. Instead, simply, you just got to put those words into that sentence, and they will come up with this. The church of God has a mission. And you go, that's not bad. But actually, would it not be so much better if it was this? Instead of the church of God having a mission, the God of mission has a church. Helping them see where are the priorities? Where must the thrust be? As we go to the God's Word, the reality is so many in our congregations see all of that stuff that's in there as random, unrelated stories. They turn to it for their personal therapy. And they certainly see mission as an additional activity. And yet what we've got to get back to is preaching the Missio Dei preaching the mission of God, seeing from Genesis, the end of Genesis chapter 2, from that stage of perfection all the way through to the last two chapters in Revelation, where again everything is made perfect, everything else in between is God's story of his mission, of how he gets us from perfection, from us screwing up at the beginning of chapter 3, 
all the way back to where Satan and sin are finally defeated towards the end of Revelation. How do we do that? It was interesting in the, the Bible readings this morning, there was the we were reminded that so often we can go as, as preachers and uh, look at form criticism and source criticism and we can do all of that stuff to, to try and draw out the meaning. I liked it when we were told to buck it all out. <laughs> Let's look at the story. Let's look at the big scheme, the grand narrative that runs through God's Word. And look at God's intentionality in His mission. And as we're preaching, where's the intentional mission message that's coming out of each and every passage? Not just those big ones. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. But in the ones that are more obscure as well. Where do we see in our preaching, us sharing with people, just God's relationship? Again, we can go with the big ones. God so loved the world. But that, but... Are we preaching again his desire that he have a restored relationship with people of every nation? Do we draw out those aspects of in the passages where, where God is working counterculturally? Where he's working cross-culturally? John 4, the woman of the well, classic for both of those. Are we looking at passages and saying, look, here's where God has an interest in the whole person. Not just going to John 10 where we're told, I've come that you might have life in all of its fullness. But looking at where that's put into practice. The stories of Ruth and Boaz. God's heart for the foreigner. God's heart for the poor. God's heart for the oppressed. Where he meets physical needs. Where he also meets spiritual needs. Where he meets emotional needs. God's first missional activity after he kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, was actually a physical one. He said, okay, we're naked. Let me, let me sort this. Have some clothes. And then the process began of spiritual restoration. How much when you're preaching do you preach on the personal nature of God's mission? Again, when we look at Christ, we see that perfectly. The incarnational body embodiment of, of the deity coming down recognizing that mission costs giving up the glory of heaven when we're all concerned about is lord you know the plans you have for me the plans to give me prosperity i'd love to go through a whole passage with you and try and draw out some of these as example but let me encourage you if you've scribbled those down scribble them down i can email this to folks if, if, if you want some passages, the likes of John 4, I guarantee you can actually get every single one of those out of John 4. Other passages, you might only get one or two. But let me encourage you, as you reflect on your preaching, don't just tell nice stories that are unconnected with everything else. Don't make it about personal therapy. And please don't make mission some sort of additional activity for the keeny beanies who are rattling in the corner. If you want some help with that, if you've got that vision, you think, well, okay, actually, I need to be equipped. Two books. Missional Preaching, they're both, they're, they're copies that you can browse just over on the, the, the table in the corner. Missional Preaching, I have no idea how you pronounce that, his guy's surname, Al Tizon, Tizon, I have no idea. I pretend he's a mate of mine. Al wrote, write this great, wrote this great book. But also one, and, and it must be sound because he's from here, Chris Wright, 
the mission of God's people. If you're feeling particularly virtuous, just go for the mission of God, the slightly bigger version. But that's a good place to start because Chris Wright takes the mission of God from the beginning of Genesis all the way through to the end of Revelation. Be equipped, be intentional. Reflect on the calendar that you might already have drawn up for this incoming year. What dates have you put in that will you'll specifically speak missionally? For the Presbyterians amongst you, some are dead given or, 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 or dead easy for you. You know, we've got to do something about United Appeal. We've got to do something about world development. I encourage that. But if all your people think of mission as being as that's the Sunday we give to this or we give to that, then we're missing something. And likewise, if the mission Sunday is the time we get somebody in to preach and you're not preaching it week in, week out, again, we're missing a trick. Be intentional. (coughs) Take your people on a journey. Share with them the good news, yes, of the gospel, but disciple them and share with them the good news of God's missional activity and his desire that his church, that he commissioned for this work, work alongside him. And equip yourself and equip your people. Engage yourself. If you haven't been in a mission team, go to a mission team. I've been involved in sending teams out for quite a while through, through PCI. I took the bold step last year of actually going on a team as a member because I wanted to see it from the other side because I've been so involved in the leading of things for so long. Fantastic. Brilliant opportunity, again, just to stop being a leader, actually, for a while and actually be a punter. Do it. Go on a team. Take your week's study leave. Take your week's holiday and get engaged and allow God to open up your eyes to what he's doing in his world. I've shared something of the vision. Assuming your people have got the vision, and let's, let's preach with confidence that if we are faithful to God's word, then the Spirit will take that and will implant it in people's lives and it will come to fruition. How then do we actually take them on from that? People are responding saying, okay, I've got the vision, I want to go. Trevor, let me invite you forward. Trevor from City Church in Belfast. As one of the leaders in City Church, Trevor, as somebody comes to you and says, I want to go overseas, what's your role as the church leader? To send them to you. (laughs) Amen. Okay, go and sit down. That was great. Your your check will be in the post. (laughs) Other mission agencies do exist. (laughs) Terms and conditions apply. Um, I think... First thing is we as a church really need to be very willing to give people and send people into mission. And that's, that's got to be something that is throughout the whole church. And it's something we're still learning at. I suppose if somebody came forward, what we'd do is first of all want to check their, their call. Um, and we'd encourage them to come forward very early uh, for a number of reasons. Because it might take quite a while um, for them to be prepared and ready to, to go. Um, so we do encourage people to to come early. Uh, we want to test their maturity, test their gifts, test where they want to go, and then think about how they're going to go, who they're going to go with. Um, I think in the past, probably it was much simpler in that people with a call tended to go off to a mission agency, um, maybe through college, and then go. But I think now what's happening, um, it's a little bit more complicated, but better in a sense that churches want to be and should want 
to be more involved in the sending process. Um, and that is a greater challenge, but it's a great challenge to have um, because we as a church don't want to abdicate responsibility and just let people go. We want to be right behind them all the way. Um, so some of the people who have gone <coughs> recently, I'll not mention names, but you can talk to this fine couple at the front about their, uh, their kids who have gone from our church. Um, and we knew early that they were going to go into mission. But, and so there are a whole range of things that we were able to do bringing them onto the leadership team. That happened to us. The church that we were sent out by got us onto the leadership team of the church just so that we were able to grow and get experience of leadership, all that kind of thing, um, which was fantastic. One of the things we did with, uh, with this couple's uh, kids was to test how they were going to go and whether they should go through an agency or be sent direct by the church and looking, weighing up all the pros and cons and so on, and that kind of thing is helpful just so that we really are sure uh, how that's going to work. I think probably the biggest thing is to get expectations right. And in the end, they did go through an agency, and one of the things that we've worked at is to clarify the expectations between the church, the couple, and the agency. And that doesn't all, that's not the experience of, of all agencies. When I was, uh, we were in, in the Middle East for a long time, but then in England, when we were in England and sending people out, we went to one big agency whose name I will not mention, and we said, what's our role as a sending church with this person going out? And they looked and said, uh, don't know. And it was really just, just send the person and pay and pray, and that's it. And we were saying, well, we want to visit, and they said, no, no, you can't visit. We want to say, we want to bring her home for a conference. No, you can't do that. And it got very complicated. And so it's important to manage that expectation, work with the agency if the person's going through an agency, um, so that there's a, a very clear understanding of who's responsible for what. Um, something we've used a lot is to, to identify the training needs of the people. We don't assume, as a church, that someone needs to go and do two years at Missions College. We look at each individual and then try and work out what they, what they need. For example, this couple were a mature couple, but what they did need was a two-week course on Islamics. And so we helped uh, fund that so they could go and do that specific piece of training. And the agency did a lot of other kind of practical training, which was fantastic. Um, sometimes a placement, short-term team, those kind of things would be very practical. One thing that we did develop is uh, something called Launchpad, which is simply a checklist of all kinds of things that someone who's going to go into cross-cultural mission should think about. Some very practical things, even how to write a newsletter, how to develop a support base, how, where to get insurance from, all that kind of thing, and, and how to build up friends, how to develop uh, good financial support base, all those kind of things uh, were very, very practical. And so we will go through that with people. And as part of that, we've used different tools. One girl is going out in, a couple, in um, six weeks' time, we, we've used some very simple um, team-building tools, DISC personality analysis, which is a great uh, tool to help someone understand themselves. So we've got a number of things like that that we can use. Um, and I guess one of the main things is finance. Uh, as a local church, how do we, are we going to be able to fund somebody completely? Probably never. Um, and there's lots of questions. There's no perfect way 
I guess, to fund somebody, but the church needs to think through its finance policy. Um, and we're still learning about that. But how much do we give? How do we help people raise support from other sources? All those kind of things. But it is a fantastic opportunity. Um, so all of those things help us get a person ready. And then that leads up to the commissioning. Um, we've got a commissioning in a few weeks' time uh, for a girl going. One of the things I suppose we've had to think about as a church is do we just respond to people as individuals going where they want to go, where they feel God's telling them to go? Or as a church, should we be focusing on specific nations or people groups? Um, now, most of the people who have gone through our church at the moment have gone to work in quite difficult situations, um, especially with Muslims. Um, but we've got a girl who's going to go to Africa. And so we pushed that a bit and said, well, why do you want to go there? I mean, there's loads of Christians there. There's more Christians there than here. Um, but just by teasing that out, I think we felt, yes, uh, God has got something for her to do. She has got skills that can be of use in that situation. But, but we should test those things. We shouldn't just take them uh, for granted. And I think our tendency would be to encourage people to go more to really difficult, more unreached, where there are clear um, needs in the world, but not exclusively. Okay, it's whether it's the sort of thing these guys want. There will be an opportunity for questions and answers at the, at, at the end. So okay. if, if folks want to tease any of that out, sure. we will have that opportunity. Thank you, Trevor. Mm-hmm. Having got the vision, having got excited about mission, having worked with church leadership, the equivalent of the, that, that leadership team in, in Antioch, who then lay on the hands and send them off. Is that the end of the story? until they come back and gather the church together and tell everybody what God's been doing. When does our caring stop? The answer is it shouldn't. But what does it mean like, or what does it look like, and what does it mean for us as leaders to care beyond the commissioning? Gordon, come and share with us something of your insights from both Baptist Mission in Ireland as well as from Windsor Baptist in Belfast. Thanks, Mark. Windsor Baptist is a smallish, well, 200-member church in Belfast with 20 uh, mission partners. And I just brought a poster from the church wall to give you kind of a snapshot of, of what's going on there. And as a church, our vision would be to mobilize everybody in the church in terms of playing an active role, either as a sender or a goer, and uh, to to sense that they are part of what God is doing in these different uh, areas of ministry. And so looking at it very broadly, I think there's two extremes that I've noticed in church life. One is naivety and the other is sort of mystery, where there is the naive view that sending people off is the case, as Marcus said, of just packing them off at that commissioning service and not really hearing much until they report back four years later or whatever it is. Uh, thinking perhaps that missionaries are a different breed of Christian. You know, there's all sorts of notions about who are these people, what are they really like, what are their real needs. And, and it is easy to put people on a pedestal or in a uh, different category. I think there's also the naive notion, is it? That finance is all that's really needed. Prayer and finance, they're the main things. But 
you know, if we can get the finance sorted, we'll, uh, we're playing our part. And uh, on the naive end, there are lots of illustrations like that. But I think on the mystery end as well, we can sometimes fall into the, the notion as a local church of thinking. Very complex world. We're talking about incredibly difficult choices, sending people into situations we have no first-hand experience of. Therefore, we can't really get involved in detailed care of these people and it's got to be the mission agency that does that uh, and we have seen certainly in our experience that the main caregivers the most effective caregivers are the parents with kids of the same age as those who are being sent out who know what stage kids are at what, what the issues are teachers who are quite used to receiving kids from all sorts of parts of the world now understanding learning styles and, and, and just how to support others who are going through all that transition people who love people and I think that's the basic qualification so in a sense it's that's not mystery that just requires love and effort and as we think about the challenge there's so much that could be said obviously many of you I'm sure would have a lot of experience to bring here but I think from our point of view there is, uh, well, three words that I thought about just for this morning. The challenge of connecting, the challenge of continuing, and the challenge of concluding. Connecting is often, I think, the big challenge whenever uh, Trevor has very helpfully talked about the process of enabling people to be known in the church, not expecting them to be different when they go there than they are here, and so giving that opportunity for leadership for testing gift, some of the most effective care has come from people who were on the receiving end of ministry from these people before they left. And I can think of now young guys studying at university with a very clear sense that God is calling them to serve in the footsteps of people who discipled them and then went off to Bangladesh or various other places invested in them and what they put into them is now beginning to bear fruit in their lives and I think that connection is really important connection I think Trevor rightly said starts with helping the individual who feels called to recognise it's not just them and their mission in that individualistic style and so again we would see it's really important for in our situation the elders to sit down talk through where this is coming from and try to help the person see that it's not just them and God's call on their lives, uh, but it is something that we as a church would want to play a full part in in sending them off. And, and uh, I guess there's all sorts of, of ways in which that needs to be constantly fed, just so that we're saying to the church, we together are standing with, our missionary as they step out into this new sphere of service. It's our work as much as theirs. Uh, but how does that look in practice? Well, I think for the congregation, there's got to be uh, a sense that they are exercising their gifts, not just putting their support financially behind this person, but really playing a part. And so 
identifying what it looks like to support somebody. How do you uh, really stand with people? I think being specific. There's a couple going to Japan last year, this year, earlier this year, to a country that is highly developed, but socially very difficult. In a part of Japan where there had been huge tragedy following the tsunami recently, and uh, they were going to need very different kind of support. They don't need packets of jelly sent in the post <laughs> or used tea bags to go to the extreme or whatever. But you know, they, they really will need people who, who will understand something of the Japanese culture. So one of the videos they sent back to the church recently was of this 54-year-old Japanese man who is kind of rebelling against conformity society by dressing up as a schoolgirl and he has gained notoriety around Japan as this kind of misfit. Now, weird in the extreme, but they were sending us this video to say, hey, look at the country that we're in. Help us understand what the gospel ought to look like in this situation. And so there is a, a dialogue going on as they send stuff like that to us and we're reflecting on it together and sending questions back and having regular Skype conversations with them just to help us connect with what they're doing and for them to to have some. Now they're with a, a mission that's well resourced in that area and so they have a lot of expertise, a lot of input, but they're taking us with them on that whole journey as well. So being specific about the kind of support, it's not just the same checklist that would apply to somebody going to South Peru. Uh, <laughs> I think being clear as well about the limits of the church support where we are promising to support, but in a very clear and specified way. And so we uh, have our church missionary policy that's revised every five years, and it, it sets out as clearly and precisely as possible <coughs> what we are promising to do, and where the limits of our support are, and what happens if, and where's the support going to come from, and what does it look like, etc. So... I think being specific about the support, but also clear that we can't do the whole thing. As, uh, we have 20 people. We give a third of our church budget, about £110,000, to their support. And that's a pot that's fairly limited. So it's not going to cover the full support of 20 people. Uh, I think developing a whole network of caregivers as well, uh, starting with everybody, so therefore... We try to give specific prayer information. Each month we produce a summary of those 20 situations in a two sides of an A4 little bulletin that goes out by email to all members of the church plus another 80 or so regular adherents. And so we want, want to be saying to people, either one of these uh, partners or, or try to work through all of them in a month and pray specifically for them and own those prayer requests. That's a challenge even just to get fresh, relevant news. And part of our job too is helping the church see, you know, what you're saying actually doesn't enable us to enter into your situation. So give us a bit more story or give us a bit more of the daily challenge or give us a bit more of the spiritual dynamic that you see in your country, how is the gospel impacting it? So that, that's a process as well. I mean, these are all things that are fairly obvious. Having a twice a month a, a 
prayer focused on one of these individuals in our Sunday service is important as well. We're, we're giving a short video or a brief update encouraging everybody to pray. So there's a role for everybody in the church. We also see the uh, value of a <coughs> missionary committee. And these are the people that Mark described as gathering the dry bones together. And their task is to make sure they know what's happening with each of these individuals and to really have a handle on what the current challenges are. Uh, and I must say we are blessed with about a dozen people who invest huge effort and time. Uh, each of them have a link with uh, one or two missionaries. They, they always come prepared to those meetings because they know they're going to be asked, okay, tell me about uh, Dorothea. What's her story at the minute? Tell me about Ho and Laura Jane in Japan. What are they facing? And so they come with that armed, ready to uh, look at these. Every year, as much as possible, we have a meeting personally with one person. That only works, obviously, if they're back here. If that's not possible over an extended period, we'd sit down with them with Skype. But it's on the basis of maybe 10 or 12 pre-prepared questions Looking back at what we've talked with them the previous year, saying, you know, what about your mother who's terminally ill? How's that situation going? What about your ministry? What about aspects of family life? Trying to help them uh, brief us in a personal way. And those questions are usually quite uh, deep, uh, accountable questions. You know, if there's an issue that's come up where somebody is struggling with something, then we're going to be asking them, well, what safeguards are you putting in to make sure that your finances aren't going into crisis? Or maybe for a single guy saying, you know, how are you guarding your use of the internet and your mind? Have you got people around you who are supporting you? So those kinds of things require a lot of trust. And I think that level of connection is important. We also have, as most churches I'm sure, small groups that meet in homes. And each one of these missionaries is linked to a small group. We expect them to send a Christmas card, birthday cards to kids, gifts, follow them up, have a chance to Skype them and that sort of thing. So all those connections are, are vital. Continuing is always a challenge and we could think, I'm sure, together of what it looks like. It's fine after the first year, but after the third or the tenth, uh, it's difficult. We had a couple home from Spain this summer. They've been away for 14 years great couple who were at the heart of church life but our church has changed they've changed and they said we don't feel linked in here as much as we were which broke my heart because you know we love them we want them to be part of this but in a conversation they told their story in five minutes from 14 years ago what's happened to them as a family as they've moved between three different language areas English to Spanish Spanish to Catalan and all the ups and downs of family life, gave very specific information about where their kids were at, how they need prayer at the moment, and they also gave ways in which the church can be reconnected, like everybody in Spain wants to go and visit a, a family, English-speaking family, send their kids off for a couple of weeks of exposure to English. So any of you folk in the church want to have a kid from Spain for two weeks, let us know. And they said afterwards it was the new people that they didn't know who came saying, yeah, we'll, 
we'll take those kids. And suddenly after that five-minute interview, they felt, hey, this is our church. They do think about us, they care. It means a great deal. Those connections were important. We've had another couple just back from Joss left two weeks before the 200 people lost their lives in, in that Boko Haram attack arrived home shattered. For them, care and reconnection was simply about making sure the house was clean, the larder was full, they were given some practical support and love and care and told, take a few weeks, chill out, we're here when you want to talk, but right now, you know, we just want you to know that we love you deeply, we want to see you restored and refreshed this time, and that's going to be a long process. <coughs> so, Connecting is important. Continuing is important. Concluding is really important. <laughs> Finishing is much harder than starting. Finishing well. I remember when my sister left New Tribes after 20 years in Thailand, she put in her prayer letter, we're glad to say we're leaving the mission with relationships intact. And a lot of folk thought, why would you write that? But actually those of us who are involved in mission know that is so significant. And leaving is hard work. And most people, when you come back, will be saying, well done, you stuck it out. I'm sure you're so glad to be home. You know, it must be a great relief. You did your stint. And people are saying, what? Uh, I can't relate to that concept. I've lost everything. And I'm coming back home. Not gained everything again. Neil Perullo, in his book, The Reentry Team, has five phases that he describes that people go through. And I think they're very helpful for your church to read and be sensitive to and I'll just summarise them quickly here he he talks about alienation people come back and they just cannot relate to life here and, and try to withdraw somewhere and then there's the condemnation where maybe they feel you know my church has lost the plot and I really want them to know that they have uh, given up on the gospel uh, and all they're coming over with is come on you guys get on board with Jesus you know that's where we've been what's happened to you lot and condemnation can sound like uh, all that's coming out and there is that phase for some reversion where people think well I just need to get back out to where the action is you know and or thinking somehow if we can click with the right people we can pick up where we were 20 years ago and, and, and recapture that experience of church back at home as it, as it really was but it's gone and all those things Ian Crow said can lead if handled badly to suicide emotional or even physical and, and in his view the fifth way which needs to be the focus is integration we're working with people saying whatever you've experienced, whatever you see here our job is to help you find a place in this church because this is your church uh, and it may take some time but let's work on it together and I think the primary uh, word of course in all that is, is working hard to care for people well and loving people and I can show you some of the stuff that uh, we produce just to help our own, ourselves express care there's a kind of summary leaflet of this for everybody in the church I brought copies but there's no point in giving them out because they're not your people but producing stuff well like this always helps
Okay, Gordon, thank you. Having been your beautiful assistant, I will hand that back. Or not so beautiful assistant. Folks, are t we, we have taken you round the circle. And the reason that we wanted to do a lunchtime seminar was we didn't want to eat into your afternoons because we recognise the busyness of, of ministry life. So bringing it to an end, if you want to ask some questions, if you would like some answers, then do please talk to myself, talk to Gordon, talk to Trevor, talk to each other, bounce off each other the stuff that, that you're going through and, and share those experiences. Like the church in Antioch, when it was established, it wasn't a standalone church, and therefore neither are you. Wherever you're operating, you're not on your own. Through the likes of the Mission Agency's partnership, huge wealth of experience across the agencies, huge wealth of understanding of what it is to send people out. And increasingly, and I'm delighted when, I've, when I came on board Mission Agency's partnership as, as this role with InterServe, was delighted to see a group of people who just wanted to share mission and, and who wanted to work together in a non-competitive way to help churches get excited about mission. Um, speak to any of the folks on the, on, on, on the mission stand, speak to myself, go onto the MAP website and speak to Lindsay Davis um, who heads that up. MAP this year has actually become part of Global Connections, the bigger umbrella group within the United Kingdom. Um, and again, sitting on the table over there, there's a, their recent um, issue 14 of their mission matters, exploring opportunities in global mission. You have it on your shelf for when that person responds to the amazing preaching that you've been sharing over a period of time and they've caught the vision. If there are folks in your congregation who, who are beginning to bite, and let's recognise in, in, in a, some places 20 minute sermon, other places 45 minute sermon, still limited what you can squeeze in week by week. If folks want to go deeper, but they don't want to do a university course necessarily, coming up, promoted um, by Belfast Bible College, organised under the auspices of, of MAP and, and, a, and a number of small agencies within that, Kairos, a course in world mission coming up in October, part of the Tuesday evening access learning classes in, in Belfast Bible College. Speak to me again if, if you're interested in that. Go on to the, the BBC website and their Tuesday night programme. You will see all of the details there. Speak to Jean, who's actually heading up, um, yes, very shortly, one of, those, one of those courses at BBC. We spoke about caring beyond the compa uh, our compassion, beyond the, the, the commissioning, or caring beyond the commissioning. In October, again under the auspices of MAP, um, Mike Frith, from 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 Oscar, thank you. Resource base for for mission in the in the United Kingdom is coming over to share that. Serving a centre based on the book by Neil Perolo, one of the books, uh, the author of one of those books that that, that Gordon referred to. Um, again, a day in Belfast Bible College. Get your mission committee there. Get your pastoral care teams there. Get your house group leaders there who have a responsibility for folks that you have overseas. And speak to the absolute experts. If you are a church that's sending somebody out overseas, not through an agency, you have a bigger onus even of care. And, and Joy Gowdy down at the back um, is more than happy to speak to you, Joy, from HealthLink360. Recently moved into Northern Ireland, providing that all-round care, 360 degrees, medical, psychological, the whole lot, for the people that you might want to send out. Is that what your congregation looks like? It may not but it may not look like the Disney picture either. Folks, take them on a journey. Go on a journey yourself. Go on a journey with God, and may he envision you as you seek to envision others. You have an amazing job. 
you have a huge job as mission mobilizers. Let me pray for you as you go and do it in his name. Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to work in your service. We thank you for the privilege that it is to be partners with you in the gospel. But Lord, we also acknowledge the awesomeness of the task. And so often we feel like Moses before the burning bush, going, we don't have the words to say, we don't have the insight to share. Lord, forgive us for that. Lord, may we recognize in our humility that we don't have it all. But Lord, that it's your word that inspires. And as we share it faithfully, Lord, we pray that your people that you have put under our care, that they would grasp your vision for the nations, your heart for your world, your desire that sin and Satan would be defeated, that the consequences and impact of sin would, would be taken away. That this whole earth would be reclaimed for you. Lord, may you envision us. And Lord, through us, we pray that you would envision others for the glory of your kingdom and the preciousness of your name. Amen. Folks, thank you for your time. Tom Clark, who is sitting down the back, is the chair of the convention committee. And it was really in a conversation that I had with Tom last year that this really kicked off. If you have any feedback, and I appreciate Standing from the front this morning, we have covered a lot. And, and actually, in terms of the list of stuff we could have covered, <coughs> we've only the tip of the iceberg. If you think something like this is valuable, don't say to me, say to Tom. If, if you have specific ideas for maybe a more refined focus for next year or the year after or a rolling cycle of programs, say to Tom, say to me. And, and we, will, we will, as part of the review, see whether or not this is something <coughs> that ministers want to continue. Well, thank you for your time. And we trust you, God's speed and his spirit's blessing as you continue in his service over the rest of this week. Thank you. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.